Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. We'll turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We are going to be looking at verse... 3 of Hebrews chapter 11. So we don't normally preach this way at imprint. Kyle usually picks uh, much longer sections, which is generally wise, uh, but I am picking just one verse today. Uh, while Kyle is on sabbatical, we are uh, looking at uh, selected passages in Hebrews chapter 11. And last week we looked at verses 1 to 2. This week we are going to look at verse 3. Uh, next week, uh, something may be different, and we're going to look at 4, 5, 6, and then verse 7 um, through June. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7 in the month of June. Verse 3 today. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are invisible. Uh, let me read that again. Because if we weren't paying attention, we will have missed it. By faith, and I'll make a few comments as we go. Faith, remember we saw last week, was the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And and as I explained, what I think that means is that faith brings these unseen realities, the promises of God, the character of God, it brings them into our world so we can act upon those things as real because they are real. That's what faith does. It's talking about what faith is kind of experientially. It brings the promises of God into our world so we see those as solid realities that we act on. Okay, that was last week's sermon. So by faith, we understand that the universe, and that means the whole space-time continuum, the world, the universe, was created by the Word of God. God spoke it into existence, right? That's why we sang, Speak, O Lord, in Genesis 1. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that, and here's why it matters, here's the practical importance, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. Let me put that into different words here for us. By faith, we understand that this world, everything that we see, is created by the Word of God. We're going to meditate a little bit on that today. What does that mean for us? So if you ask the question, how did this world come to be? Why is there something rather than nothing? And the answer is by the Word of God. The Word of God did that. God spoke and it was. And we know this by faith. We know this because God has revealed it to us. And the result is that the unseen things are more real than the things that are seen. And that makes a powerful, what I want to try to tell you is that makes a powerful difference in how you see life. If the unseen things are more real and are more important than the seen things, it makes a powerful difference in terms of how you see life. Now, I think it's helpful at the outset because we live and work in a world that's, you know, not, um, where Jesus is not out and out ruling and, and reigning, right? We live in a world where unbelief 
has predominance. I think it's helpful because of that to acknowledge that the world really kind of disagrees with this assumption, right? Well, let me just bring in a couple of witnesses here. Here is uh, Richard Dawkins. This is what he says. This is not true, by the way. Don't, don't kind of like tune out, come in and be like, oh yeah, the passage today was from Richard Dawkins. No, that's, that's not the case, right? Kyle's going to come back next week. Right? <laughs> I'll lose my, my job. Here. So, so here's what Dawkins says, which is wrong. Let's qualify this. In my view, Dawkins says, not only is science against religion, but religion is against science. For religion teaches people to be satisfied with tribal, supernatural, non-explanations that blinds them to the real explanations that are in our grasp. This is wrong. This is what he's saying. This is what religion does. It teaches them to accept authority, revelation, and faith instead of always insisting on evidence. Dawkins is saying there, any approach to understanding the world that takes its starting point, the things we know by faith, the unseen things, instead of the seen things, is destructive. It deludes people into a true understanding of reality. Faith obscures the objective truth. Dawkins is saying the exact opposite of what Hebrews is saying, isn't it? Hebrews is saying that unless we presuppose the unseen realm, God and His Word, we cannot understand what is. You will miss this created world. You will miss the meaning of this created world unless you presuppose God and His Word. That's what Hebrews is saying. Dawkins say, is saying the exact opposite. Or well, here's another. Uh, this is a biologist, Richard, or, sorry, George uh, Greylord. He says, Although many details remain to be worked out, this is also wrong. It is already evident that all the objective phenomena of the history of life can be explained by purely naturalistic or materialistic factors. Everything can be explained by naturalism, math, those kind of things. And his conclusion is this. Man is the result of a purposeless and natural progress process that did not have him in mind. In other words, these witnesses to how the world thinks today is that there is no invisible reality that has contributed to the world as we experience it. And there is no reason for our existence other than blind and meaningless forces of time and chance. There's no God. We are alone. And the sooner we make peace with that, the better. That is what the world says. Again, this is clearly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Where humans are the result of God's Word. Now, I trust that if you're a member of the church or visiting with us from other churches, you, you side with the author of Hebrews over and against the atheist philosophers. If you're here with us as an atheist philosopher, I'm glad you're here and love to talk more about, more about this with you. But, so I trust the members of our church are, are siding with the author of Hebrews, and yet, how easy is it for us to fall into the trap, even as believers, of thinking that this world is all there is. Dawkins doesn't want us to apply faith as we look at this world. And so often, sadly, I think Dawkins would be quite pleased with the way I look at the world. And perhaps that's the same for you as well. 
We might not be professing atheists, but are we practical atheists sometimes? It's interesting, uh, years ago, um, if you look at like the, the sermons in English, going back several hundred years, guess what? The, the word atheist shows up a lot in those sermons, even when there were basically almost no atheists living in the English-speaking world. Well, why did the pastors keep talking about atheists? Because they were challenging their congregations not to be practical atheists, not to live as if there was no God, even though they believed in a God. So <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 is important for us because it confirms our faith that God is the creator and also because it challenges us to live this truth out consistently in our lives. So that's the challenge for us. We believe this. Question, are we living that out consistently? And I want to give us four, or sorry, three truths that this uh, passage tells us that we need to live out consistently by faith. The first truth is that the world and everything in it was made by God. So truth number one that we need to live out by faith is that the world and everything in it is made by God. Now, um, I think we need to realize at the outset here that in one sense, this is not something that we need faith to know. Don't we all know this? I, actually, one of my kids uh, asked me what the sermon was on today, and I said it's on the fact that God created the world. And, and the, the, the six-year-old replied, well, Daddy, everybody knows that. <laughs> like, that's silly to preach on that. Everybody knows that. And, and I think she was on to something there. Because that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Everybody does know that God created the world, right? Romans 1 tells us, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen through the things that are made so that we are without excuse. So the creation of the world witnesses that God is the creator. And it does so in such a way that we are without excuse for acknowledging it. Now, one way that I, I think we can get at this is, um, you know, if I am talking with, with somebody who professes to be an atheist, sometimes I've, uh, I've said to them after they say, you know, if I ask them, oh, where do you go to church? Like, well, I'm an atheist. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> and that befuddles them a little bit because what are they going to respond? Oh, yes, he does? And kind of would refute their point, right? But, but here's what I'm getting at. Um, the atheist worldview, not only does it not please God, it's just impossible. Because all people really do know God. It turns out that they, that they suppress that knowledge. They know it, but they suppress it. It's, I, I saw there's a great illustration for this that C.S. Lewis does uh, in his uh, book, The Horse and His Boy. Have anybody read The Horse and His Boy here? Yes, good. Um, there's a part there where Aslan, is, the, the Christ figure, is singing the world into creation. But then there's the evil uncle, the, the bad guy in the story, and he just doesn't want there to be a lion that can sing the world into creation. So he pretends that the lion is re really just roaring. Like it's just, a, it's just a growl that he's doing. And in the end... All the evil uncle can hear is the roar, and he can't hear the beautiful singing. It's an illustration of the fact that, that unbelievers take the word of God and the knowledge of God that they know, and they 
pretend that that's not true, and after a while, they start to actually believe their own lie. That, that's what it means they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the question then that we need to answer if we're going to understand this text is, if everybody knows God by virtue of being in this world, why is this something, this, that God created the world, something that we know by faith, as the author of Hebrews says here? And that perplexed me for a little while when I looked at this passage until, until I, I think the answer is that the key word here to understand this is that word understand. If you notice there in verse 3, by faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God. To understand something is to grasp the meaning of it. Everyone knows or is aware that God created the world. But without faith, you cannot understand the meaning of it. In fact, uh, in Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, says that God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. Which is to say that everyone knows there's something more than just this temporal world. Right? Everybody is groaning toward, searching toward this eternal perspective that we all realize we need. And yet, Solomon says, but no man can understand what God did from the beginning to the end. Solomon is writing that from the perspective of one who does not have faith in God's revelation because he's talking about what all people have. And you see, without knowing God's special revelation that he's given us, without knowing God's word, creation would give us this generic knowledge of God, this sense that there is this God, but the meaning of creation. Okay, what does that mean that God created the world? Well, that would always be elusive to us. Why did he do it? What is his plan? Where is this going? How do I fit into that creation? How can I know this God? We wouldn't know any of that if it wasn't for God's revelation given to us. So by faith, we understand the meaning of creation. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at here. We can't understand those questions, those big questions of life, if we look at creation only. We understand to ask those questions if we look at creation, but we cannot get the answers from creation itself. There's a, a reference to kids' book. Now, here's, an, a, here, here's a book for grown-ups, um, a book called The Name of the Rose. It's a uh, book written recently about medieval monks doing murder mysteries. And uh, the monks are investigating this murder in a library, and it turns out to be a maze. And the people have a way of getting stuck in this library that's this maze, and they can never come out. And so these two murder um, investigating monks, against their better judgment, go into the library and get lost in the maze. But lucky for them, they actually do make it out. And then, because they need to solve, they need to get the clues in the library, but they can't go into the library without getting stuck, what they do is they go outside the library and they observe its shape. And then when they look at it from the outside and see how it's shaped, then they know how to get through it. And then the older monk says to the, um, sorry, the younger monk says to the older one, but how does it happen that you were able to solve the mystery of the library from the outside when you were unable to solve it when you were on the inside? And the monk replies, in this way, God knows the world because he conceives it in his mind as if from the outside before it was created. 
and we cannot solve the mystery because we live inside having found it already made. In other words, God knows the world from the outside, and so he understands it. We only know it from the inside. And if all we see is inside stuff, we'll never understand it. Unless, of course, we get information from the outside. If we get information from the outside, then we can understand it. And that's why it requires faith. Because we have to trust God's word. We have to trust what he says about this world is true. And then we can understand the meaning of it. The Bible gives us a message from God's vantage point. It gives us a message that we can only, um, that we can take in only by faith. And we've got to trust that this message is true. Now, what does this mean then? It means that if we've accepted the message that the Bible gives us, it tells us something about who God is. That He is the Lord of all. To receive the message from the Bible as true is to recognize that God is Lord and that what He says goes and what He says is true. It's also to recognize something of who we are. We are the people who are created by God. We are those made in His image. We are those who who need to be under His authority and reflect Him. That's who we are. You know, it's, it's sad... And, and interesting as well to me that I've encountered many unbelievers who don't like God being Lord. And so they'll say things like, I could never believe in a God because that would mean believing that I live in a police state where this God is the absolute Lord overall. And, and I don't like that idea, so I'm not going to believe in God. Or, or I'll never forget there was a family member over my house one time kind of ridiculing my parents' faith. And she said, basically, that's ridiculous to believe in a God who would punish people for impure thoughts. That's what she said. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. But I remember thinking to myself, well, that that objection kind of seems ridiculous. And it is exactly what somebody with impure thoughts would like to think, right? (laughs) I mean, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. (laughs) There's a lot of things in the world today that I don't like. But just not liking them doesn't make them not true. When I'm talking to atheists, one of the strategies that I usually use is to try to show them that their sophisticated objections to God reduce down, kind of when you boil them down, they're basically just, I don't like it. And so then I want to show them that their reaction actually confirms that the Bible is true because that's exactly what people who are rebelling against God would think. I don't like him. And time and time again, I've had unbelievers admit, when you put it like that, your position actually has intellectual coherence to it. But what we want them to see is that it challenges their heart as well. But the challenge for us, we who profess to believe in God, the question is, Do we live that out consistently? Paul asks the question in Romans chapter 2, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? And I think likewise we could ask ourselves, you who want to confront atheists, are you an atheist in your thinking? You who acknowledge that God is the creator of life, 
Do you still fear death? Think about that. You who reject evolutionary naturalism and the idea that everything is random chance, do you live like there is a God who works all things out for the good? Or do you fret and worry all the time? You who believe that we do not come from monkeys, you who respect, do you respect and honor all people made in the image of God? The young and the old. Those with great IQ and those with physical and mental disabilities. Do you fight against racism and sexism and anything that would put one group above another group? Do you intentionally form relationships with people who are different from you, trusting that because they are in God's image too, that you can relate to them? You who believe that there is an absolute moral standard and that moral relativism is wrong, do you still lie when it's convenient? Do you fudge a little on your hours in the workplace? Do you think the traffic laws are just suggestions? Do you justify that gossip and anger? You who acknowledge that God is the creator of marriage and therefore believe that it cannot be redefined, do you submit to your husbands and your wives? Do you keep sex in the realm of marriage only and do you shun pornography in all forms? You who acknowledge that God is the creator, do you give thanks for what he's made? Do you cultivate thankful contentment in whatever God has given you, knowing that because he is Lord, what he has given you is good? Do you thank God for your food with sincerity? Do you rejoice in what he's made? You who believe that Jesus rules over all, do you love his church? Do you give yourselves to loving those within the church in a way that reflects the way he gave himself for loving the church? Friends, God is the creator. And let us show this by, our, by faith and see the implications of this truth worked out in all areas of our lives. Okay, so the first point we need to realize by faith is that God is the creator of the world. And that was the longest point, by the way. The second ones are shorter. The second one is that God created by his word. God created by his word. Not only did God create, but it makes a difference that it was by his word that he created. That is a different scenario than if he just created. God created by his word. The passage that Jen read made that clear, right? God said, there, let there be light, and there was light. When I'm teaching this to uh, children's church at my when I was a pastor, I used to say, okay, let's, let's illustrate this, okay? Do you think anybody else can do this? You want to try saying, let there be light and see if there's light. Or, and, and none of the kids were ever able to make it work, right? <laughs> Our words do not have the uh, efficacy that God's word has, right? Over and over again, God speaks, and it is. There's no mediating agency. There's no pre-existent material. He just speaks, and boom, the thing that he spoke just is. It comes to be. That's amazing. We say that God's word, therefore, is effectual. And effectual means that it creates the reality of which it speaks and needs nothing else. God depends upon nothing else other than his word to bring about the reality of which he speaks. It's like what Isaiah said when he said the word 
God says through Isaiah, the word that goes forth from my mouth will not return void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. God does not need anything else. He is independent and in need of nothing. And he creates by his word and everything that he creates is dependent upon him utterly and completely. So, a number of you are teachers here and, and we're, we're almost done school and, and so I thought it'd be a great time to give you a homework assignment, right? Because everybody just loves homework assignments over summer. Yes, right. Here's your homework assignment. Spend time meditating on the fact that God created out of nothing by his word. Just, just spend some time thinking about that and meditating on that reality. One of your first challenges is going to meditate on the fact that there's nothing. Like if God creates out of nothing, can you imagine nothing? One, one Christian philosopher, Francis Schaeffer, used to try to get people to imagine nothing by writing nothing on the board and then crossing it out. <laughs> say, not even that. <laughs> and he would call it nothing, nothing. Which is just to say, when we usually imagine nothing, we imagine, you know, this great empty space. But there is no space, right? God had to create the space for there to be nothing in first. Nothing, nothing. There is nothing but God. No space-time continuum at all. Can you imagine that? And then God speaks and it all comes into existence. Spend time just meditating on that. I, I guarantee it is going to make God seem bigger and you feel smaller. And then when you realize he speaks you into existence as his image, it'll make you feel, well, small and important at the same time in a way that is very good for your soul. And as you meditate on God speaking everything into existence by his word, I think you will also appreciate Jesus more. Why do I say that? Because if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 1, which you don't have to do, but you, you can if you want. Hebrews chapter 1, in the very beginning, it says, I think it's verse 2, um, starting verse 1, verse 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, it says, He has spoken to us by His Son. The same God who spoke the universe into existence by His Word has now spoken to us by His Son. And guess what He's doing as He's speaking to us by the Son? First, realize that that, that speech by the Son is the Gospel. When it talks about God speaking in His Son, He's talking about the Gospel that, that Christ uh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again that all who believe in Him will have their sins forgiven and new life. That's the speech of the Son and, and all the implications that are worked out in the epistles. Um, that's the speech of the Son. Just as God spoke and the world became, so also the speech of the Son creates spiritual life in us. The, the speaking of the Son, the Gospel going forth, creates spiritual life in God's people. 
And you see, the more we meditate on the power of God to speak and just bring forth creation out of nothing, the more we realize the power of God speaking through His Son to bring our spiritual life into existence out of spiritual death. Because we were all, the Bible says, hating God, rebels in God's world, wanting nothing to do with Him. Even if you were, uh, became a Christian as a little child, there is still a heart in you that wanted to rebel against God before that. And so what saved you was God's Word that you heard and then God using His Word to create spiritual life in you. The more you meditate on God having the power to create out of nothing, the more you will appreciate Jesus and the life that he has created in you. And that leads us to our last point, to consider by faith. Number three, the things that are not seen have more weight and importance than the things that are seen. The things that are not seen have more weight and importance than the things that are seen. And this is really the takeaway for us. This is the conclusion that we need to feel and live out. If God, who we cannot see, created all that we can see, then the realities that we cannot see have more weight and importance than the realities that we can see. And this reminds me of a response that one Christian philosopher had to an atheist. The atheist was making the point that there is no room in his philosophical framework for the existence of God. And the Christian replied something to the effect of, while there is more in the world than can be dreamed up by your philosophers. If God is the creator, then by definition... An unseen realm is more significant and more important and in a sense even more real than the realm that we can see. And think about it. At the end of the book of Revelation, it says that the world will be sort of like rolled up like a scroll and we'll see something of this invisible reality that is blind to us now. Now, now think about this. At first glance, we'll, we'll close with this, this thought to consider. Why is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, why is verse 3 in this list of the great acts of faith? I mean, think about verse 3 in connection to, last week we read all of Hebrews 11. Um, every, single, every single verse there, every single instance and story it, it told us. And that's a great list, right? I mean, it talks of things like Moses leading the people out of Egypt, or Abraham who left his home to go to a place he did not know, or Noah building an ark to save the human race. So it's just, just imagine this scenario. Imagine you're in heaven talking to these people, uh, and they're talking about what they did by faith. And you say, well, um, by faith I believe that God created the world. I mean, that's going to sound really impressive, isn't it? <laughs> whoop de doo God created the world. Like, like, why is that? Why is verse 3 in this list of all these great acts of faith? And, and I think the answer is that, well, number one, it is an act of faith. It's an important act of faith, and it's the starting point for so much else. So we, we've just observed the 75th anniversary of D-Day, right? I mean, amazing hero, heroism, isn't it? You know, wow, after D-Day, though, 
as important as that act was, the war was not yet over, right? But the difference was, after D-Day, there was now a platform in that enemy territory that they had taken back, and through that platform, through that beachhead, they were able to transport all the resources they would need to for everything else, right? They had a way in. That was a decisive turning point. Well, believing that God created the world by faith is sort of like D-Day. No, it doesn't win the war. <laughs> but it doesn't win the war, the spiritual war that you're fighting. But it does establish a beachhead, a base of operations through which everything else can flow. Everything needed to fight that war can come through that beachhead of believing that God created the world. You see, if you believe that God created the world by his word, then you can believe that his word is effectual, right? Then you can believe that the word creates the reality of which it speaks. And if you believe that God's word is effectual and that it creates the reality of which it speaks, then you can also believe that the promises that God has made will actually come to pass. And if you believe that God will bring about everything that he has promised, how can you not act on those promises now? How can those promises not then become part of the evidence that you consider for how you think and feel? How can you believe that God created the universe, the whole space-time continuum, and doubt that God's promises that he has made in his world will actually come to pass? Well, maybe some of you this week will walk into a workplace or, or your school or your family, and, and you'll be walking into an environment that is just saturated with unbelief. God is to them a bad joke. And the fact that you would put your hope in the bodily return of Jesus is to them just absolutely ridiculous. If that's you, if that's kind of where you're going into, the world in which you're going to go into, remember creation. Remember that this world is created by God. And, and no matter what somebody says about how ridiculous it is to believe in Jesus, that doesn't make it not true. And that Jesus is going to come back. It is not foolish to believe God's word, especially when we consider that this is the God who created this world. Or maybe this week you're going to, after you walk out of here, walk into a very tempting situation. You you're, know you're going to be tempted to break God's law or, or use something in creation for a purpose that God did not intend it to. Remember once again that God created the world by his word. He spoke it into existence. And therefore, he has a plan. It makes sense, if you need to, but you need to follow his rules. Your job is to conform to that plan. Not to go off and do whatever you want with whatever you can think of. Or maybe as you walk out of here, you're walking into a world where you're just assaulted with trials and hardships. Maybe there's a lot of pain in your life. Remember creation. Remember God as the creator. So that the unseen reality will have more weight and importance than the seen reality. And you will know that the pain in your life is both momentary and light compared to the eternal weight of glory. So the question you need to wrestle with then is, is do you believe, do you really believe that God is the creator of all this? 
world by his word. And if so, let that faith in God as creator work itself out in all the implications for all the areas of your life. And as you look at this world, as the world created by God, also look beyond it. Look to those things that are not seen. Because in the realm of the things that are not seen, we can find our way home. Let's pray. Lord, you are the creator. We confess that. And we pray by the Spirit of Christ that that conviction would work itself out in all areas of our lives. Lord, we, we pray that we would trust in your word in ways that are deeper and more profound and more expansive and extensive than we ever thought possible. We pray that your word would govern our feelings, our thoughts, our words, our actions, but not in simply a way where it's our duty to follow you, but because we see that Christ has created new life in us. As we come to appreciate your power, your creative power, Lord, let all of that translate into a greater appreciation of Christ's saving power. That all the power that you have to create is, is transferred into and through Christ to save us, to recreate us in his image. That by your grace and mercy, we may walk in a way that honors you and pleases you. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.